boys and ghouls, and welcome to a spectacular Halloween special episode of The Smorgasbord. I'm your creepy creepkeeper, Tom Shapira, and with me... Hello, I am Sean Edry, the island that walks like a man. <laughs> Good. Uh, we haven't actually intended it to be a Halloween special, but mostly, beca- Halloween. mostly because we're... We're not in any country that celebrates Halloween. I celebrate Halloween in my heart. Yeah. But we're happy, you know, to steal, you know, ideas from other nations. Sure. Ruthlessly. Mm-hmm. So before we'll get to our plenty of reviews oh, about spooky yeah. comics, we'll talk news. And before that, we'll just remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Seacourt.org, the best online and on-your-shelf source for comic books, news, reviews, and previews. Mm-hmm. Buy their books, read their articles. For instance... For this Halloween, Harry Edmondson Cornell is doing a series of articles about classic horror movies and themes. Should... Warning, pictures are included. Beware. N- not safe for work? Um, well, what depends if where you're working. Yeah, it, if you're working in a butcher shop. Hellraiser, so I would say no. But, um, you know, if you're working in a butcher shop, yeah. that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like, yeah, I see that every day. <laughs> so, shall we start with the news? Yes. A lot of movie news. No, no comics news, just movies. Well, I guess they got all the comics uh, out of the way during NYCC. Uh, let's start with the one that really sort of threw me for a loop. There's a new version of Archie coming to TV. Not actually called Archie. No, it's going to be called Riverdale, and it's live action. And it's going to be a spooky take, speaking Halloween. It's Twin Peaks Archie. That's weird. I'm, I'm thinking, like, you know, a, a TV audience in 2014 would probably find Archie creepy, just, like, vanilla Archie, regular Archie. Well, it's working for them right yes. now in comics, because wow. Afterlife with Archie is a huge hit, and rightfully so. It's a very good comic. Yeah. P- part of the reason that Archie is so successful, like, with their latest permutations is because when you look at it, it's still, like, the iconic cartoon, right? What would that look like in, in live action? Have you tried to see the previous live action Archie, Return to Riverdale? One minute, 27 seconds. As far as <laughs> yeah. That was my personal best, and I could not go any further. Well, it can work because in the US, you know, where the target audience is, Archie for adults is more of a brand than an actual thing that you read. Yeah. Unless you're a hard on comic fan who reads Afterlife with Archie. Uh, and you can play with that image. You can, you know, tear it up, turn it down, burn it up, and that's what they're aiming for, I guess. Would it work? I don't know, but it's more interesting to me than most other comics, comic-based show that we're getting, which is basically, here's well, the comic, here's the... superhero right? No, I mean, The Walking Dead. Right, and The Walking Dead. But... Here, here's the, here's the comic that you like, only worse. I mean, is it going to be like a modern-day take, or is it like... Because Archie is very, very steeped in the 1950s, 1960s sort of aesthetic. That would be really weird to see. The town that time never... It's like Stepford Wives, yeah. you know? It's like everyone's programmed to be really... Archie's really... Wives. Archie, ooh. That's yeah. the movie. <laughs> That's the movie version. Or the, right? the bad fanfic version of the show. Archie's Wives, oh god. Yeah. Also, uh, in TV news, the pilot for Constantine aired. Yeah. I saw it. Uh, so I this, saw twenty minutes of it. Yeah, I mean, all twenty. Let's let's acknowledge first of all the elephant in the room, which is that the last adaptation of Constantine, featuring Keanu Reeves, was bad. No, I liked it. Elaborate, please. <laughs> okay, the reason I liked the Keanu Reeves Constantine movie, yeah, was because it wasn't a Constantine movie. It was just a movie about Keanu Reeves as a U.S.-based exorcist mm-hmm. fighting evil in the U.S. Which took the name and 
some semblance of characters from the comic book. And as far as I'm concerned, as its own thing, as, you know, a B-level action supernatural movie, it was fine. Shia yeah. LaBeouf died, which is always a plus. That's always a good thing. Yeah, and... You, know, you, you watch know. him die, you're like, okay, I got my money's worth. And Peter Stormare as the devil. Sure, until Liz Swinton was in it. I mean, the cast was fine. I liked it. I really liked it. And really, it. like, I think you have a point that if you look at it not as Hellblazer adaptation, but yeah. as just a thing that happens to be called Constantine, maybe it's more palatable. My issue is more, I mean, when they announced this show, they were sort of, you know, taking the piss at, at uh, the Keanu Reeves version, and understandably so. I mean, there were issues there. But ironically enough, they sort of fell into the exact same trap, which is a Constantine show on the CW is never going to be John Constantine as he appears in Hellblazer. You would need HBO for that. You would need a level of freedom that you cannot get on the CW network. And in fact, Karen Berger, who used to run Vertigo, she no, was yeah. her editor there, she, she put it in like one sentence that I thought was perfect. She said, it's Constantine Light. Which is exactly what it is. And it's like, why Why do I need Constantine Light? Like, you I already got Supernatural. Exactly. With the trench coat and the, the Latin chanting and, and the demons and all that. Why? There's no need for this. You know what it reminded me of? The, the scene that I think really pissed people off in the, the, the movie, okay. the Keanu Reeves version, is they tried to do a take on Dangerous Habits yeah. where he gets cured of lung cancer. And in the end, Keanu Reeves like pops a stick of gum. In the comic, he lights up another cigarette. That is the quintessential difference between John Constantine, as he should be, right? He's the guy who cannot help screwing up. Constantine and Constantine. Ooh, let's not even go yeah. there. Let's no, that's, even that's the difference the for me. That's the difference. That's, yeah. It's a, it's a different character. You know what would... You know but, what? but that's what's happening with the CW now, too. Like, it is not Constantine in any way that is... He can't be the bastard. No. And can't. the point is that... He's an anti-hero, not in the modern term of, you know, he's dark and brooding and attractive. He's an anti-hero in the term of destroys people nearer yes. to him. This Sometimes intentionally. Yeah. This is not someone you fetishize. And in fact, the, the major issue here is also, I mean, this isn't just specific to the CW. They've been having this problem with the New 52, right? Ever since they moved John Constantine into the DCU, if he is standing next to Superman, he can never be the person that he was... For, for so long, right? I mean, Hellblazer ran for 300 issues. Yeah. And within that collection of runs, sure, like, there were times that he was more extreme, less extreme. That's like Garth Ennis versus Peter Milligan, right? Yeah. But even then, there's this sort of quintessential bastardness to him, for lack of a better term, and the CW version can't ever have that. That's the so, first line that he ever said in the comics, right? My name is John Constantine, and I'm a bastard. Yeah, so, I mean, what what more do you need? See, there is one way for for them to save the show in my eye, mm -hmm. and it's only for me and not for anyone else. If it turns out that the big bad for the season, for the first season, is Keanu Reeves as the oh uh, as the American God. as his American half brother, the oh evil my version. God. That is some Lobo metafiction stuff going on over there, and I like it. It's not gonna happen. And really, what is Keanu Reeves doing these days? Um, Jack. He's talking about like doing Bill and Ted number three. No, he can, he can do. He can yeah. guest star on TV. It's fine. After after that forty-seven Ronin debacle, he needs yeah. the money. I think. Yeah. He, well, he probably doesn't need the money, but he could use the reputation I, boost. I like know? Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Poor guy. Oh, he's sad, Keanu. Yeah. Uh, another TV. Another item. Uh, TV item. So this one was actually really interesting. Uh, they're doing a live action version of Static Shock. Static. Yeah. Um. 
No, is it static shock or static? I mean, depends the on the ad- static. The character is static. Depends on the adaptation, I guess. Right, because the animated series was static, static shock, shock, and his name was... Well, no, his, his name, name was, was static. static. Yeah, well, right, that's static. That's true. So this was the uh, property created by Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah, it's one of the um, big... big, One of the icon characters that people remember yeah. alongside icon and rocket and... Really, hardware from Milestone. Yeah, like from Milestone, I, I think that Static is actually the most. He's the biggest name because he had yeah. an animated TV show that ran for like five years, yeah. tied for the DCU animated universe at the end. You know, yeah. uh, so they're doing uh, they're doing this on a new digital platform called Blue Ribbon Content, which to me sounds like an uh, like a kind of bacon, but. I guess. I think know. beer, but okay. I mean, yeah. you know, there are different connotations. It's, it's so stuff. bad, you're going to need to drink yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you will need to be binging on something. Well, well, again. we're always talking about expanding representation in comics. Yes. A black superhero getting his own TV show. Yeah, I mean, if I recall, I don't want to put words in Dwayne McDuffie's mouth, especially since he's not around anymore, but if I recall, part of the idea behind Static was to create sort of like, you know, a, 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 a prototypical teenage superhero. A Peter Parker for the new generation. Who's African-American. Yeah. Which, I mean, today, now, it's sort of... It's Miles Morales. It's Miles Morales now, so I don't know if we really need him, but... Well, we need him because he was a good character, and to most opinions and reviews, good comics, maybe they'll finally return these classic icon stories to print. Sure. You can't find them. Yeah, and and I mean, really, For some reason. McDuffie's legacy is significant enough that there's, you know... There's a uh, there's a need for it in the market. Yeah. Sure, do it. Yeah, you as know. long as it's good. Yeah. Because I'm not very pleased with DC television adaptations, quality wise. You know, the, you live you, action wise. You mean? Yeah, yeah. You can't argue yeah. with success in the term of no. You, know, you can argue with success financially. Mm-hmm. You can't argue. You know? No, I mean financially you can't. But like just because something sells, yeah, yeah no, it doesn't mean I, it's good. A thousand friends won't convince me to watch Arrow again. Arrow, no. no. Arrow, I'm done. Uh, I will say, though, uh, and we, we we disagree on this, um, I do sort of like The Flash. Nice. Only because it seems to take a sort of joy in doing yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, it's, it's taking joy by having watched the first episode. I've finished it and I thought, okay, so 20 years later, it's just as good as the 1991 Flash. Which is not a huge shoe to fill. One shoe, not even two shoes. One shoe. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It's just, I, I'm just glad that, like, it's not grimdark. Oh, no, no. Because that would be scary. Well, not yet. I don't they were hitting for bad time travels, and they started with the kid's mother being killed. Isn't that Jeff Johns? Yeah. Or yeah. So, I mean, Jeff know, Johns is the... Blame it on the Johns. Yeah, Jeff Johns is the grimdark yeah. uh, Flash the guy. The Reaper. <laughs> uh, breaking movie news. Benedict Cumberbatch has been cast as Doctor Strange. For now. So basically, Deadline and Gamefront and all the major uh, news outlets are reporting that this is official. I think like the desire to think that it's still a rumor is mostly from the fact that I really don't want Benedict Cumberbatch to be Doctor Strange. I, I said it before we recorded. Poor guy. It's not his fault. It's the internet's fault. Because his fans, you know, cast him to every role for the last three years and... I got sick and tired of him without actually watching him in in many in many things. You know, I've watched the first two seasons of Sherlock. Right. I've watched him in that Hobbit movie. Oh God! I don't know if that even. Well, he. I mean, this is the thing. He if voice the voice acting role. He'd be perfect because he can. He's really good voice actor. Yeah. Um. The thing is, like, I'm thinking of S- Stephen Strange, right? And specifically Stephen Strange in the context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's hard for me to to think of him as like the kind of person who 
you know, can stand next to Captain America and Tony Stark and, like, all of these characters who are... On the, on the other hand... Like, that Tony Stark could be his, his father in that movie? Yeah, I, I mean, not even... Well, because the ultimate version of Stephen Strange was younger, right? Yeah, but that version didn't survive. It didn't for, survive. No, it there didn't wasn't survive. an ultimate Stephen Strange, you know, running series. He appeared no. in, like, two stories. And that's it. Maybe that... Well, that's that's a sign of Doctor Strange's problems in and of itself. But, I don't know. I just I have a really hard time picturing him in this role... But on the other hand, I mean, I will say this. Marvel's casting choices so far have been on point. Yeah, they paid I off. can't think of any major role that they really botched. I mean, even someone like Hugo Weaving, who was not into being the Red Skull, you know, he wasn't really into it. He was still, like, really good in the role, right? Yeah. That, you are failing! That was, like, the Red Skull, right? The, the ham. Yeah. That's chewing the scenery. That's That was perfect. And, I mean, even uh, Christopher Eccleston... The man that never, wasn't good. Man, I'm sorry. Well, this is the thing. He never enjoys any role he's in, right? He always complains about everything. But, like, when you look at what he actually does in the Dark World, he was fine, right? It's he, not stood, a he stood there. Yeah. He just stood there. If you need somebody to stand imposingly and speak in, like, a baritone voice, that's one way, you know, that's one way to go. And, I mean, really, when you think about the major successes they've had, Tom Hiddleston... Uh, I mean, think about it this way. Like, at the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, go and tell someone that the guy who was, who was like, wearing the whipped cream bikini in Not Another Teen Movie would end up being Captain America. The, the great Captain America. The great, like, iconic Captain yeah. America. The guy who played, uh, Sebastian Stan, who plays uh, Bucky Barnes, his previous major role was, like, what? Gossip Girl? The guy from, from uh, the Australian guy from Neighbors. The Australian Ford. surfer. From a from an Australian soap, uh, you know, ended up being Thor and like Thor nailed it, nailing it, nailed it perfectly. Yeah. So you believe them? I'm not like I'm not happy. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm sort of tired of Benedict Cumberbatch, and it has nothing to do with fan casting. It has to do with sort of, you know, because he was in uh, the Ra- the Wrath of Khan, not Khan. Yeah. Really, is Khan the Khan in, into Khan. darkness? Yeah, the Khan Khan, as I like to call it. Into um, badness. Into badness. Yeah. Uh, and he was not great there, which could be the fault of the script, but also, you know, Sherlock. I had that same problem of starting season three and being like, I'm over it, you know. I'm sort of done with his whole shtick. But I have enough faith in Kevin Feige because, like, you know, th- this is like... And Paul Rudd is Scott Lang, who I forgot to mention, which is also brilliant casting. We'll see. I mean, uh, even on the surface of it. He's okay. perfect to play, like... So... Okay, open mind. I'll try. But really, you guys could have done better. Moving on. Actual comics, comics news. Actual comics news. Sad comics, comics news. Yeah. Not very sad, but sad. Sad Sad-ish. Yeah. Uh, Ryan North leaving uh, Adventure Time Comics after three years. Three glorious years. Yeah, I, I I should, you know, pick up those latest Adventure Times because I only read the first three uh, volumes, which were very good, mm-hmm. and very good in a way which was unique from the show, and Adventure Time, you would have thought would be a show that's hard to translate into comics because it's so cartoonishly cartoony. Yeah, most people have that problem, like I've seen other people try to adapt Adventure Time. Yeah, there were there's dozens of spin-offs right now, it's the big, difficult. for Boom, Adventure Time is what Star Wars was to Dark Horse, <laughs> and... Hello. 
And I think they're keeping justifiably to, so. They're keeping it to a rather high level. I think even yeah. the stuff that's you know not as good as the main series is enjoyable in its own way. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge universe to mine. You can exactly. basically do like again like Star Wars, yeah. Adventure War, Adventure Time, Adventure Wars, <laughs> Adventure Star Wars. Adventures. Yeah. Somebody's Star gonna Tiger. somebody's gonna do that fan comic soon. Somebody probably has it. I, I am positive, as I speak to you now, even without looking, that on DeviantArt there is a mashup of like Adventure Time characters done up in Star Wars style yeah. with Princess Bubblegum having the bagels around her ears. I'm sure it's out there, but um, so it is sort of sad. I don't know. He's going. He's it. going for the Marvel. He's doing the Squirrel Girl thing we talked about. But is he exclusive to Marvel? I don't know. Maybe he's be- he's a busy guy. He's he's, yeah. he's got his ongoing, uh, never-ending comic strip, right? He's the guy that does dinosaur comics. Right, right. Um, Which is daily? I don't know. Either daily or weekly. Well, he doesn't have to draw it, so but you know he has to think it. And after yeah, one it, trillion strips, you know, it's a loss for for Boom because he really did a great job of capturing sort of the unique spirit of Adventure Time. I don't know anything about Christopher Hastings' his replacement. Uh, the name is familiar to me, but I can't tell you from where without Googling him, and I don't want to do live Googling. Christopher Hastings, wherever you are, good luck. Those are some size 57 loafers you got to fit into, but, you know, give it a shot. Yep. In crazier comics news... Yes. Well, okay, hang on, let's be fair, this is crazy manga news, which isn't as much of an oxymoron as it seems. Crazy Kickstarter news, yeah. which, crazy Kickstarter, again, should be a punk band. It really should. That sounds like the sort of thing that... Sean like. and the Crazy Kickstarters, coming soon to a uh, low-rent club <laughs> near you. Yeah, what kind of genre would that be, though? Like uh, Ska? Punk rock? Ska? Ska. <laughs> oh, it would be one of those obnoxiously hipster descriptions of, like, you know... Our music is sort of like this fusion between 1970s jazz and 1920s uh, uh, beatboxing with a little bit of Ska and a little bit of uh, uh, rap. Also, 30-minute triangle solos. Oof. But here's the so the actual, the actual Kickstarter yeah that we're talking about. So um, there is a project to publish uh, unreleased volumes by the great Osama Tezuka, the late great Osama Tezuka, the Godfather of manga or the God of manga, depending who you're credit where it's due. Yeah, you know that is absolutely true. Uh, the thing is, they are asking for. <clears throat> Five hundred and eighty-nine thousand dollars, U.S. dollars, not Cana- U.S. dollars, not, not Cana- yen, not Canadian dollars, not rubles, not pennies. They want five hundred and eighty-nine goddamn U.S. American dollars to publish thirty-one untranslated, unreleased volumes of Osamu Tezuka's material. Now that project has been ongoing before, and up until now, they're thing was they picked a series of books, you know, one, four or five volumes, and do them in a Kickstarter form, and then move on. And now suddenly this group is jumping to a huge, huge jump ahead, dozens of volumes together, and asking for ridiculous sums. The reward, I mean, the way the Kickstarter works is that, you know, you donate a certain amount, and then you are eligible for a reward, right, along the reward tier. Yeah. The, to get one volume, you have to donate, like, you have to give them $150. Have you lost your damn minds? In this economy, people are freaking out over $5 comics in the United States to the extent that on The Outhouse, if you're familiar with that website, they do, you know, five comics for under $5, what you should buy instead of giving four ninety nine, And they want $150 for one Tezuka book? Really? <laughs> with all the respect in the world for Osamu Tezuka, No. 
That's, you know, and there's been a huge uproar over the interweb for it, and they're changing things now, but... Too little, too late. Yeah, you know? it's it's a question of, you know, have you damaged your reputation, you know, to the point where people wouldn't want to buy from you anymore. The the end the end product, the 31 books, would have cost you $750. That's for black and white volumes, and according to what I understand, medium production, it's not like yeah. giant size hard covers. It's, you know, simple black and white Big, big style manga collections. You have and got to be kidding me. As someone noted, I can't remember the name right now, there was a link in the beat for a very lengthy, very well-written article. Mm-hmm. Uh, Usama Tezuka fans in the US tend to be, it's not kids, it's adults with, you know, disposable income, people who care about their classic comics and would willing to pay a lot to achieve it. And that's how that firm carried on up to this moment. What, and the otaku uh, types? No, no, it's not, it's not, you know, otaku types. It's adult fans who appreciate classic comics. It's like, it's, it's the manga version of the Kirby collectors. There's appreciation pay- and there's half a million dollars. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously. It, again, it's the same, it's the same type of people who would, if they were fans of American comics, would pay, you know, uh, 70 bucks for a Kirby hardcover of 12 new pages of color Kirby that they, somebody found in the back of a bin. Okay. Let, like, let me, let me put this in a, in a more familiar framework. Tom, you're a huge fan of Darwin Cook. Yes, I am. Would you pay $150 for one Darwin Cook book? I say Darwin Cook book, like, you know, here's how to make scallops. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. Um, no. Would you pay it? No, it's... A, it's like, uh, setting aside the fact that it's a ridiculous amount in and of itself, the, the industry and the market right now are not what we would call healthy. You know, and the economy in general is not at the point where you're like, sure, $150. Do you have change for a thousand? I, I, I have nothing for this. Like, you know, I, I like Tezuka stuff, but nope. And talking as a guy from Israel who supports Kickstarter once in a while. Hell for the no. For me, it's impossible because imagine whatever you have to pay and then double it for shipping. shipment, for shipping. So if you're out of the USA, Canada range, mm-hmm. you're not. You know, if if you're trying to ship that kind of material outside of the U.S., you'll have to pay not only for shipping but taxes yeah. and back Which taxes. This Kickstarter is global, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's international. It's so not just if America. you're from, say, Europe, yeah, and you want to buy the final seven hundred and fifty dollars for thirty-one books, you'll probably end up paying in the range of two thousand bucks. You know, post shipping and taxes and release. Halloween, everybody, yeah. time to be afraid. That's just weird, you know. And bad Kickstarter news are usually somebody misplanned his uh, his campaign and didn't factor in, you know, the proper shippings and didn't send you stuff. I've got yeah. stuff that I supported that haven't arrived half a year later. Friends of mine have stuff that they supported that haven't arrived a year later. But that's okay. But these guys aren't amateurs. It's not their first run at translating uh, Tazuka. They've bought the license for yeah. a lot of money and they came prepared. So that's just weird. It's, it's just, just a weird. miscalculation. I mean, a miscalculation of the market. Thinking yeah. people would, if this would succeed, I would be actually more more worried. If it's this not would succeed, succeed if it's gonna succeed, because then the next project is gonna be more and more. Because sure. thirty-one books sounds like a lot, but Usama Tezuka drawn like seven hundred volumes of comics—a ridiculous amount. You know, I mean. He makes me feel unaccomplished. <laughs> he makes he makes Kirby he makes Kirby feels unaccomplished. I know. And if you go if you if you do the calculations, thirty one uh, thirty one books, uh, half a million dollars. 
you end up with what 17 million dollars final yeah, that is ridiculous. the final you know 17 million dollars from the fans to the publisher most of them won't even get a book out of it that's the thing like unless you you donate a substantially large amount of money you don't even get any of the books it's I mean I don't know what DMP was thinking with this but you know back to the drawing board people because yes yeah. That is not going to work. I'm, I'm just, like, curious how much have they made so far, because the bad press alone... Here we go. Okay, so they've lowered the goal to $380,000, which is still ludicrous. 23 days to go, they have amassed $21,000. This is not going to... It's not going to work. Yeah, this this if, Kickstarter is not going to work. If they started with the 300000 and with lower tiers for rewards... Had they started that, it would have yeah. been fine. But now, like, you know, there's... Bad publicity. Because Kickstarter is a very unforgiving medium. You know, you're basically throwing your money into a well and hoping that a frog jumps out of it. Yeah, like, like the Mark Andrew Smith thing two years mm-hmm. ago, the Sullivan Sluggers that never came. Yeah. I mean, people are, are a lot more skeptical. And to, to go in like that... Half a million dollars. Oh, giddy up. Moving on. Moving on, because I don't even want to talk about these guys anymore. You, you want to wanna talk about previews? Previews! The fun stuff. My favorite time of the month. Yeah, these are the previews for January 2015. Yeah. yeah. New, 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 new year. Yeah. New books. Resolution. Old I'm, stories. Resolution. I'm not going to spend that much money on comics this year. No. Resolution unlocked. <laughs> Achievement locked. It, it is achievement locked. <laughs> yeah. and like with your wallet, with like a little key, just yeah. don't. Okay. Well, uh, so there, this is the thing. Like I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at these previews, and there are there are talking points here. Recommended books, less so. But let, let's get into it. Who, who do you want to start with? Marvel. Let's start obviously. With Marvel. So Marvel, actually, I, to my surprise, there are quite a few books here that drew my attention. Okay. Not as many that I would actually buy, but let's let's take it from the top. Well, the big one, Star Wars number one. Yeah. Written by Jason Aaron and drawn by John Cassidy. A new quarterly title. Yay! Well, with five bucks per issue, quarterly is what we can afford. I mean, John Cassidy. (laughs) See, and the question is, I'm willing to wait... One if issue every movie. That's I'm willing matter. to wait if we're gonna get the good John Cassidy and not the guy who draw on Kenny Avengers one two three, because that yeah. was the bad John Cassidy. And we want astonishing X Men. John, John Cassidy, Cassidy, planetary John Cassidy, the guy who was one of the top ten artists of his generation. The downside of that being that you know the John Cassidy of astonishing X Men and planetary is the guy who takes like three years to write an issue. Well, he had how so, long has it been since we saw a project by him? Two years? I'm assuming that he's been working on Star yeah, Wars but, ever since. <laughs> but it's it's been almost two years since his last yeah. issue of Uncanny Avengers, and I think he's done a cover once in a while, but not a project project. So yeah. if he's worked up and, you know, it's Marvel, he's, prob- he's probably only going to do like the first four or five issues and then jump ship. I hope Because so. that's their thing. If he can do a complete arc on time and just like leave it at that and like help Jason Aaron launch the Star Wars book and then go away... I think that would be Well, fine. it's five bucks, but it's 48 pages, so that's okay value. No, no, it's not. Five in bucks. Marvel, in Marvel terms. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, for Marvel, it's fine. But, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'm not going to buy four ninety nine, five ninety nine. Forget it. You're going to wait for the discount uh, uh, digital thing? Well, the thing is, I'm not a fan of Star Wars in general. To the extent that I enjoyed material from that universe, it was Outside the novels the f- that came afterwards okay. by Timothy Zahn, because Timothy Zahn is, like, brilliant... Regardless, 
And here they're they're doing like another interlude between the, the, first, the first and, and the second, second movie. movie. Again, I don't understand that logic, by the way, because The Empire Strikes Back was the best of the first trilogy. So yeah, but if you're doing the interlude between The Empire and the Jedi, you can't have Han Solo, and everybody wants the Han Solo. Uh, create new characters, then. You know? <laughs> Blasphemy. What? 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 Even Harrison Ford doesn't like Han Solo anymore. So Harrison, I mean, there's some point. Harrison Ford doesn't like anything anymore. Listen, Harrison Ford can you is. Blame him? Can you blame him? He's yeah. like, I am 80 years old. I am tired of this. Leave me alone. But So it's Jason Aaron, it's Jason and Aaron. I like Jason Aaron. I'm yeah. going to give it a shot. Uncanny uh, Avengers number one. Again. Again, some more. Rick Remender and Daniel Acuna. The only reason I'm even bringing this up Why? as a talking point yeah. is because the solicitations mention Counter-Earth. We're back to that again. Well, it's Rick Remender. He loves his Marvel minutia. I, Counter I ju- Earth. If you are old enough to know what I mean when I say Counter Earth, a big red klaxon just went off in your head. You say, "Whoop! Time to go." See, and- the guy just used Onslaught and survived the fans. So if he can do it with Onslaught, he can do it with anything. Uh, Ant Man number one by mm-hmm. Nick Sp- Spencer and Ramon. Rosanis. Rosanis, okay. Again, $5 for Ant-Man. That's not going to fly. They're clearly counting on like hype for the movie yeah. to, to play into it. It's Scott Lang and not Hank Pym. So, so. But it's also Nick Spencer. Nick Spencer is better on superheroes than on his own self-created thing because when he did uh, Spirit Falls of Spider-Man, which was pretty good. Right. That was, that was, him, that was right? him. I think it was him. Maybe I understood that book, so I don't know if it was him. <laughs> Like, I See, can't tell. when he has an editor that tells him, well, Nick, you have to, you know, actually entertain your fans, and yes. you can't just... This is a loss, and you're not J.J. Abrams. You can't play that game anymore. Um, yeah, he, t- he tends to take the idea of a long-form art way too seriously, so I... Maybe you should just stick to graphic novels. I don't... The graphic novel would end with, like, you know, to be continued. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we mentioned this, uh, this was announced at NYCC, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl number one. By Ryan, Ryan North and Eric Anderson. Just $4. <laughs> to where have we came that just $4 is something that I can actually say it's about it? Worse. It's going And again, worse. I like Ryan North. I like the joke that is Squirrel Girl. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I ju- I'm just tired of Marvel. Like, I, w- I might pick up the trade of this on the principle that Ryan North writing Squirrel Girl would be fun. It would be a fun comic to yeah. read. I mean, I would recommend it. If you have the pockets for it, do it. Uh, but, like, Squirrel Girl also isn't... I mean, she's a joke character. Yeah. So I don't know if I'd be willing to invest that much in, like, following her on a monthly basis. Well, if he, if he can evolve her beyond just the joke of her beating everybody... Yeah. If there's because, more, which he probably can. I yeah. Mean, Ryan yeah, North I mean, knows how to, yeah. you know... To get the humor without repeating a joke. Yeah. So it, it could work, but we'll see. I, I just want to mention um, Wolverine's number one only we, we, because we've talked about it. We talked about when we talked about it. I said I think Charles Soleil is writing this book, and <laughs> you didn't believe me, but I was right because it's a new book, and Charles Soleil is writing it weekly. Weekly. Well, weekly. Art by Nick Bradshaw. Which um, is, how? How long? How can he hold? How long can he hold on, Nick Bradshaw? How many heads does this guy have? Well, this is the interesting thing here is that Charles Soleil is, is alternating issues with Ray Fox. What's happening is that he's doing issue one and three, and Ray Fox is doing two and four. That's not a disaster in the making. It de- I don't understand. Like I, I've read all the 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 
press around like Wolverines. I still don't understand if it's supposed to be like an anthology title or if it's an ongoing art. Like that is not clear to me. If it's an like issue one focuses on Sabretooth, issue two on obviously it's the first step of bringing in the Red Dawn characters into the Marvel universe. Wolverine. You you said it best. Wolverine died, and now we have more of him than ever. He's like Gizmo. You get him wet, and then all of a sudden there are Gizmos everywhere. We never die, we multiply. Today's kids reference. <laughs> well done. Operation Sin number one. Operation S-I-N. S.I.N. I'm not playing that game. It's Ka- Operation Sin number Catherine one. Catherine Eminem, which is good. Good. Uh, doing a five-issue miniseries about Peggy Carter and Howard Stark. Yeah, What? except... Tying okay. into Original Sin? Why? Why? This... Marvel is having... They have a cognitive gap here that, that they really, really, really need to understand. And, and so do the readers, by the way. This is very clearly meant to build on the popularity of Peggy Carter as a character because, I mean, in the first Avenger... She was very well received. You know, yeah. Haley Atwell's performance as Peggy Carter was fantastic. And they're giving her a TV show They've now. They've given her a TV show. Howard Stark also, uh, same principle, right? Yeah. He was a very popular character, uh, um, very enjoyable. The thing is, Marvel's version is pre... I mean, this is sort of the... The, the Peggy Carter. Thing. Yeah, their Peggy Carter and Howard Stark are not yeah. the Peggy Carter and Howard Stark that were established in the films, right? There is a separation here. And in fact, the third uh, protagonist of this book is uh, Woodrow McSomething, Woodrow McCord, who was established in Original Sin. So this is a Marvel Comics Universe attempt at mimicking the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Following They're not the same people. Following the case of the ultimate Nick Fury getting reincarnated into the Marvel Universe, would we find that this Peggy Carter is actually the niece of that Peggy Carter? Oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> And Howard Stark had a twin brother, also I mean, called Howard. When, when you think about it, in the Winter Soldier film, they never established that the, the female agent who lives next door to... Uh, her name is Sharon, yeah. but they never call her Sharon Carter. Rightly, because saying that... That you know, would have been creepy. Yeah. She's the niece of your last girlfriend. Go forth and, and multiply. No! No! That would be really, really weird. I mean, it, it is weird in general, but to put it into the movies, I think they're like really struggling to give her a different identity. Yeah. Because... Well, she was only in it for like two minutes, so that's... Yeah, but also because Pe- I think Peggy Carter is so much more popular in the films than she ever was, was in, in the comics. comics. So, I don't... I mean, they... People from who, who like Agent Carter and who like, you know, the, the film Peggy Carter are going to come to this book and be like, what is going on here? Well, the thing with Agent Carter in the comics, is the original one, not the S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. Sharon Carter. She wasn't that great either. She, no, she, the thing with Cher- Peggy Carter is nobody cared about her in the comics, so you can just say, that's Peggy Carter now, and... Except for some, you know, Roy Thomas, nobody's gonna cry. They changed the Golden Age version that I like because nobody. Kurt Busiek might have an issue with that. He might, he'll probably come up with Yeah, something. but Kurt Busiek is too nice to make an issue out of it. Kurt Busiek is the nicest guy in comics. Yeah. After we did the talk about the lawsuit, the, yeah. you know, he wrote this blog post about everything being wrong about what, uh, n- not talking about us, but everything wrong about people's preconception. That, and I was reading his, blog and oh my god he's talking about all the stuff that I said that was wrong <laughs> and he's the nicest guy about it he's, he's not nice like guy. stop talking crap he's like here's some information that you might find intriguing 
Yep. For some reason, I'm getting cured. He's English commented accent. the same way. Like, here, let me fix this continuity issue for you. Politely, you know, yes. I'm not going to say that everything before my Avengers run was incomprehensible crap. It was, but I'm not going to say it. But here's how we can fix it. Uh, so, uh, we'll see. I, okay. Uh, uh, Thor number four. I'm only drawing attention to this, again, like as an academic point. Mm-hmm. We're having Thor versus Thor already. Gee, I that, think that... Jason Aaron might be running a little too quickly here. Give the lady time to breathe before you explicitly compare her to her predecessor, who is also Thor. We're not going to get into that again. <laughs> no. But Thor and Thor and Thor. And Thor. Well, we got into it. <laughs> we reviewed the first issue. Yeah. Uh, uh, two collections that I want to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hawkeye by Matt Fraction Omnibus. Mm-hmm. We knew it was coming, but 100 bucks for 500 pages is a bit steep for an omnibus, yeah. which are usually 100 bucks for a thousand pages. And much. people would pay because the uh, Hawkeye by Matt Fraction is ridiculously well liked. It is. The question is, are they actually going to finish it by the time the omnibus is solicited? Probably. Because that, the last few issues have been stalled for forever and ever. Yeah, but I doubt that they would have solicited they would have solicited the omnibus okay. at the end. There are um, a few quick appointments I just want to mention uh, before we wrap up Marvel. Uh, two cancellations. Okay. One I'm furious about. One I couldn't care less. Uh, couldn't care less. All new X Factor. Sorry, Peter David, but um, you had your third swing at the bat. Well, it, it's so hard for me to condemn him because he's he's written so many great things. But all new X Factor was too much of a retread. Despite being like superficially different, he basically ended up doing another sort of mysterious corporation after last uh, X Factor had Singularity Investigations, which was not an investigations firm, but a lawyer firm that was very clearly influenced by Angel, and now here, clearly influenced by Google. It was a bit too repetitious, and I think that turned people off. Next X Factor volume, Facebook. Go for it. Get me a Mark Zuckerberg mutant or whatever. Uh, the cancellation that I'm angry about is she held number 12. Charles Soleil's... He needs to rest. Poor bloke is tired. The problem is... Oh, okay. So the justification for the cancellation has been low sales, right? Yeah. I'll admit the art was not great. Charles Soleil's writing was good. Electra was solicited this month. So it doesn't seem to be canceled yet. You're not steaming, so I know Electra is still ongoing. That's the way to know that you're still alive. My my face hasn't quite turned red yet. But the problem is, you know, so if we lose She-Hulk, and if and if the the rumor about Electra was true, and that book goes to, those are two books that Marvel published with the intention of putting their female heroes first. If these books are failing, they're doing something wrong because they're not bad books. Or the market is doing something wrong. You can say sometimes that people are stupid for not liking good books. <laughs> but the, you know, Electra is a good book. We've talked about it Electra. It's a good book. The, the thing is, if it's failing in sales, it's because, like, I have to believe that the fish sinks from the head here, right? The Marvel, I don't have to. Because the, the, the market, Marvel Sometimes. determines what's popular in the market. You know? No. Who, was there a huge audience no, no, for, like, Marvel, Uncanny Avengers? No, but Marvel can't control. They can try, but they can't, you know. They're not trying. No, because, for instance, you know, when Mad Fraction did this Defenders book, they tried, you know, they pushed it and say, it's a one dollar. order? No, the Defenders by Mad Fraction. You see, you already forgotten that that, yeah, that, that that thing existed. But they tried, they pushed it, and they gave extra copies to the to the stores. And in twelve issues, gone, baby, gone. And 
Marvel, we think Marvel can control the market, but they can't because if they, they could control the market, but they they have the ability and because they use this ability all the time to influence people. But right? they have that gift. They know how to control the Marvel. But zombies. they're trying, and they can't do it forever. Again, it's uh, not a good talking world. about Marvel, Captain Marvel. Because they obviously tried with Captain Marvel and again and again, and but it's Captain not. Captain Marvel's still being published. Yeah, but it's not. It's if if they had their way, it would have been a top twenty book. It's not. It's it's an okay seller. It's an okay. So I mean, I just don't understand. Like if because like when you look at the lower tier that She Hulk was on, She Hulk sells a pretty much the same amount as uh, Electra. Yeah. And as Miss Marvel, if they cancel Miss Marvel, that would be. I mean. Sales-wise, you can always justify it commercially, right? You can always well, say it's low not, wait, 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 go. wait. It's not Miss Marvel. It's Captain Marvel, and that's no, 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 important. I'm talking about Miss Marvel. Oh, right. I'm talking about Kamala Khan. All oh, right, Be- but Miss Marvel, not according to what I understand, Miss Marvel sells a lot better in digital, and we can't see the we can't see the reports for digital that we can see for print. So maybe it makes up for it. It's she. She-Hulk should be in publication. She-Hulk should have good stories. She's one of Marvel's premier female superheroes, which isn't saying much given they're stable, but still, you know, she should have a series. And Charles Soleil's writing was really good this run, and I was enjoying it a lot more than I did Dan Slott, by the way, because Slott, because Slott is a little too self-aware. On She-Hulk. He's a little, yeah, well, I mean, his She-Hulk run, I read it in comparison with, with Charles Soleil's run, and like, he was a little too on the nose. Let's look up the back issues, right, and see. He yeah. had two, two runs. Yeah. The first one was better. The one with the Spider-Man trial. That was That good, was a great. But that was an isolated moment. It was yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I just want to like mention it. one other collection from Marvel. Yes. Uh, and I have one other uh, uh, new run, but go Okay. Ahead. Deathlock, Raging Against the Machine. <laughs> The Joe Casey Deathlock. That's the third Deathlock. And this collects, pay attention because we mentioned the Hawkeye price tag before. Right. That's 35 bucks TPB for 400 plus pages. Mm. And that's the complete, uh, Deathlock series, which was only less like 11, and the previous appearance of that same character in Cable. Yeah, I, th- I think Marvel, like, they got the prices backwards here because if they had lowered the price for the Hawkeye Omnibus, more people would buy it, and if they raise the prices on the Deathlock, I mean, if you're going to buy Deathlock, you have to be a Deathlock fan to begin with. Well, they're they're pushing Deathlock on Agents of Shield, so who knows? He hasn't turned up yet in season two, as far as I know. And it's a completely different Deathlock. There's like yeah. there's four Deathlocks in the Marvel universe. I've lost count, and now not only have I lost count, but I keep getting him confused with Death's Claw and Death's Head, and like uh... or the animated metal band. <laughs> That's a that's a crossover. Yeah. You should another crossover. That, that would actually be an interesting. Concept. Don't forget, the first Deathlock came from the far off future year of nineteen ninety seven yep. to our past. Old even then. <laughs> One other point of interest about Marvel. I know, like we've been spending a lot of time with Marvel, and we're going to New Year, yeah. But I do want to say this: X Men twenty three. The new writer on the all female book is G Willow Wilson. Good. I am in favor of it. Brian Woods' run didn't click for me. Neither did uh, Mark Guggenheim's. I'm going to come back again for Wilson because I think like she's done with the whole Jubilee baby vampire thing. And if they can dump that and, and she starts something new, I'm there for it. DC? Quickly? DC, yes. Because there is... Not a lot to mo- cover. Yeah, yeah. There's some, you know, future's end, world's end, end's end, the end is the beginning is the end. Land's end. Land's it's their end. special world's Scotland end. crossover. Everything is ending and yet they have more number ones. Um, so, I want to start with sort of a Flashback to the Halcyon days of 1990. Marvel, um, Mor- <laughs> Marvel, Mortal Kombat X number one, 
or 10. I, I don't know. Like it, it's it's a 90s book, so it should be X, right? Yeah. Extreme. Um, well, Shang X Shiro's... is 10, so technically it's Mortal Kombat 10. It is the 10th game. Yeah, Mortal but... Kombat 10, number one. Mortal Kombat 10, number one, Sean Kittleson and Dexter Soy. This is happening, Tom. <laughs> Mortal Kombat comics are coming back. I remember, like, Acclaims comics back in the day. I don't. Ooh, boy. I don't even know how to respond to that. Give like... it to Udon. <laughs> they're, they're, good, they're good with computer game comics. Give it to Udon. They would make it funny. Why is DC... I mean, do Warner Brothers own Mortal yeah, Kombat? Yeah, well, they published that Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe computer oh, game. Okay, wow. So so what would happen if Mortal Kombat came into the DCU, like, properly? Well, it would have been dark and oppressing and very violent, so nothing would change. Yeah, you know, so instead of ripping off arms, you rip off heads. Okay. Well, babyality would be a huge Ooh. improvement for the DC universe. That's, that's how you start the new all-ages book, right? <laughs> a babyality plague or whatever. Uh, Orion by Walter Simonson yeah. Omnibus Edition. Omnibus. Yeah, uh, that's the collection of the previously uncollected uh, Orion series mm-hmm. by Walter Simonson, as the title would tell you. Yeah. And it's Walter Simonson doing his Jerk Kirby Cosmic Stuff tribute, so... He did ba- it pretty well. Yeah, bound to be good. I haven't read it, but it's bound to be good. Not as good... I mean, Simonson will always be remembered for Thor. Yeah, well... That's, that's like his crowning achievement. But Orion wasn't bad, so... Yeah, yeah sure. Another uh, hardcover, uh, Deluxe Edition... Or Ocean slash Orbiter. Like, these are two uh, Warren Ellis, Ellis books yeah. in one. Um, I just ripped the book in half, really, because I, I really enjoyed Orbiter. Ocean, not so much. Okay. Uh, but, you know, you're an Ellis fan. So you yeah, I, I, I would give it a shot. Fables, The Wolf Among Us, number one. <laughs> so that's a comic book based on the computer game. Based on the comic book. It's the Writ- circle of life. Scenario. Written by Master, just art by... Uh, Dave Justus. Okay. Uh, disclaimer, I haven't played the game yet, but it's made from the same people who made the Walking Dead game. Which, which reduces, got great reviews. And reduces me to an emotional wreck. Yes, but the thing is, they promised us Fables was ending. 150 issues, They done. promised you Wolverine was dying too. Yeah, but I could they actually died. believe them because, you know, Bill Willingham was obviously tired. Well, this isn't... Well, and he is Fables. Only apparently not. Maybe now Matt Sturgis is Fables. So Hang on a second, though. Even when Fables was ongoing, he, Willingham wasn't always the only person doing Fables. Matt Sturgis has done Fable work. Yeah, yeah. Work before, and he's not bad. If you want to continue the Fables universe, that would be one way to do it. Only you shouldn't. Like Sandman, there comes a point... You had people after Neil Gaiman, you had yeah. Mike Carey on, on Lucifer. Lucifer. For, you know. Yeah, but at certain points, somebody said, stop. Yes. And they stopped. And now they started again. But that point didn't come for a while, though. Yeah, well, Fables is ongoing for a decade now. More. it's only been the core book. No. There there was Jack of Fables. Yeah, Ferris, Cinderella. Ferris and Cinderella haven't been around for that long. But they've been. They had two graphic novels. They had had a prose novel. They have a computer game. There's enough Fables. Yeah, you can do it. You don't want to overexpose, but I think, like, if Master just... Because this is a limited series. I no, I, and it as is. Far, it is, oh, okay. and as far as I know, it's it's a direct adaptation of the game. So it's a it's a prequel to the comic. I think it takes it place is. before yeah. before the series starts. Yes. So, so I mean, okay. if the if the goal here, like I could see this being included in a Fables hardcover that was collecting the ancillary material. Okay, fine. Uh, image. Image. Uh, there's really only 
one thing that I have to say about Image, which is unusual given that I'm a huge Image fan. But really, like this month, it's all the ongoings that we talked about already, which are still yeah. going on. The big, 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 big point of interest here is that Ed Brubaker is moving criminal. And Sean Phillips. And Sean Phillips, of course. Credits do. They are moving criminal to Image. Which I think leaves Powers as the only book being published under Icon. Well, we have Man of Wrath now by Jason Aaron. Is that Icon? Yeah. Icon. That's okay. that's his Icon version of uh, Southern Bastards. Right. That's basically, you know, he's he was doing Southern Bastards and Marvel came to him, but you're working for us. Give us the Southern Bastards. And he's, like, and he's like, okay, here's a Southern Bastards book. The spin-off. I'm, I'm curious about this. Uh, Kabuki? Is is that still a thing? David Max Kabuki? I haven't seen it in ages. Yeah. Uh, Matt Fraction jumped ship with Casanova. Too. Yeah. Image is also publishing. I, I'm, I'm curious about this. Because as far as I know, Ed Brubaker still has a good relationship with Marvel. But the fact that he's moving criminal... not I mean, it's a boon for us because by moving them back to Image, Image has also started... They're putting out a new special in January. 48 pages? Also, yeah, they've also started republishing the trades. Which have been out of print for a while. Well, I've got the nice hardcover, right. so I'm, I'm, I'm. If you were in I'm on the ground level, as punched. Yeah, yeah, if you were in on the ground level, you already have this stuff, so it's fine. I I don't know. New I mean, criminal material, so that means he has now three. He will have three ongoing series from DC because uh, from Image because he still has Velvet, right? right? And well, the weird thing and is the fade out and yeah. Crip. Will Criminal be an ongoing, or will it be a series of miniseries? It's usually a series of miniseries. Yeah. But, I mean, the well, way- because Sean Phillips is busy. Yeah. He can't draw two series well, at once. Well, th- th- he's doing the fade-out as yeah. an ongoing. It's gonna, It's so weird to think that like Criminal and the fade-out are being published simultaneously by the same authors. They're very, 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 very similar in tone. Because it's Ed Rubik and Phillips. They yeah. have that their tone. But not... This is, I don't think they've ever published, like, two... Well, be, they can't. Like Rubik can, can write them, but Sean Phillips isn't Stuart Eminent. He's not yeah. that swift. <laughs> Almost just, nobody's that swift nowadays. He's not Mark Bagley, is the thing. Uh, and thank God for Mark that. Mark Bagley and Criminal. That would be an interesting combination. Anyway, it's 48 pages, and like the first fade-out, you can also get it the more expensive magazine yes. edition. Which yeah. I'll get because I'm, I'm picking f- up the special. Look, I mean, this is T. Wallace again. Yeah. He was a great character. I, I'm, I'm, I'll get it soon because I'm a fan of the formalism thing. Yeah. You know, I I don't. I kind of wonder what it means like for for Marvel because they've lost basically all of the major acquisitions well, that they made when they launched. Icon. Well, because Icon was always just a way to please their exclusives. They didn't care for it. You know, it was there for Mark Miller to have his plaything sure. and for. Brubaker to have his plaything. But if people are leaving them for image... They'll find new people. Probably. But it's like, you know, Ed Brubaker, I don't think he had like one of those big yeah. blow-ups. Hickman doesn't, you know, and Hickman yeah. is... Hickman is the biggest Marvel writer right now. Is he? Avengers, and new Avengers, and uh, Secret Wars coming up next year. He's Wait, the biggest big... in terms of sales or biggest in terms of... of I think sales. Amount of books. Sales. Okay. Hickman. Is Hickman doing anything original? Yeah, he's doing like three series for Image at the same time also because what? Manhattan Projects. Oh, Manhattan Projects. East right. of West. And the other big relaun- the other big launch from Image is uh, Jonathan Hickman and oh, Ryan Bodenheim. Yeah, okay. The Dying and the Dead, which was given the tagline Indiana Jones for Old People. Okay. Which is Indiana Jones, the fourth movie. <laughs> See, no, but because, because Jonathan Hickman is a nice guy, the first issue costs 4.5 bucks, 64 pages. Okay. That's good. All right. That's I mean, a good value for money. 
market the market has to wake up people this is not going to work in the long run and you you don't really like him that much i think hey, I, I don't like his Avenger stuff because I grew tired of it, but... I didn't like his Fantastic Four. Uh, but East of West, I'm still liking. Manhattan Projects... I the last the first trade. I liked the first trade. I liked the second trade. By the time the fourth came out, I was yeah. like... He's overdoing it. He's running too fast. Mm-hmm. And there there is no characters. There's just cool moments. Kind of tired. I wanted to tr- stop. You know, rest. It, it should have been a finite series. Like, if you have an end point that you're building towards... He's not... The, I think the thing is he's not a great storyteller is the problem I have with him. Like, he's not good at setting up, you know, foreshadowing, at doing... What? No, no, no. If anything, he's too good at the at the building of the plot stuff that doesn't really care for the character arcs. You know, because I mean, stuff yeah, that's... Characters he's, you know, he's... Yeah, but he plans, you know, he plans and he plans and he plans was and he his, plans. His Fantastic Four run was when... I haven't read human, it. Oh, okay, so... But it was the one where the Human Torch died, died came, came back, back, then... You know, it, it just... Uh, Speaking of, of uh, not number ones, Spawn number 250. Written, you made it! Written by Todd McFarlane and art by someone called Sezimon uh, Kudarensky. <laughs> That's $6 for 64 pages. Uh, um, and I wouldn't buy it if it was $4. For I wouldn't 64. buy it if it was $0.06 cents for 64 pages. I mean, it's, it's Spawn, people. No, Note, people, Spawn has achieved 250 issues, and your favorite comics probably haven't made it to 12. 60. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, I can't, you know what? Uh, the I last, let him that and it. Savage Dragon, the last remnant of the 90s. Let him have it, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, Dark Horse? Wait, wait, oh, one graphic Horse? novel. Well, a collection of short stories, actually, not a novel. Henshin, OG, oh, OGN, yeah. uh, written and drawn by Kenny Mura, who did the art for the excellent, excellent I Kill Giants. Yep. And I love his art style. I'm gonna, you know, jump on it sight unseen. Okay. Okay. Dark Horse. Uh, Dark Horse, there were only really uh, two items that I found interesting. Uh, Joelle Jones and Jamie S. Rich and Laura Allred are doing a miniseries called Lady Killer Number One. Yeah. This is, from the looks of it, uh, a, a miniseries about sort of, you know, the perfect mom who's also a hired killer. Uh, what was the name of that Gina Davis movie where... The Long Last Kiss Good Night. Long Kiss Good Night. This seems to be that. I fought Serial Mom. I love that movie. I fought Serial Mom, but I'm weird. Serial Mom was more of a... I, I don't know if it's a black comedy or not, because I don't know Joelle Jones. I don't know her style, but uh, if it's not a black comedy, it's The Longest Good Night. If it is a black comedy, it's Serial Mom. And uh, either way, I, I'm into it. So Okay, actually, I've got something from Image that interests me. The first is a collection. Image or Dark Horse? Uh, Dark Horse, Dark. sorry. Oh, I know what you're about to go bring Empowered up. Unchained, Volume 1. Not what I thought you were going to say. But That's okay. a collection of the empowered one-shots, the color one-shots that came alongside the original series. Right. So you've got uh, Adam Warren and Emily Warren and Takashi Miyazaki and Brandon Graham. Oh. The Brandon Graham one-shot. I've been oh. waiting for it to be collected. Okay. I love Empowered. I re- it's weird. It's hard to get into, but once you get into its strange rhythms, mm. it's excellent. I love it. Okay. okay. I-, I like Adam Warren... Totally, I think he's... I do too. I think he's underrated, and I... One speak, of the great crimes of the Marvel Next imprint was that nothing ever happened with the live wires. Yeah, that... And most of his previous work is uncollected. You can't find his Merry Manga collections, you can't find his Gene 13 se- series, which was very good. He did Gen 13? Yeah, he did like 12 issues, which were very good. Oh, and okay. you can't find him. You know, disappeared. What, is, what else is he doing these days? He's, he's, he's got, he doesn't problems. power. Well, he's writing and drawing it in like one... One collection per year, which yeah. is a graphic novel per year, which is fine. Hey, if he's making money of it, 
Yeah. Another collection. The Shaolin that Cowboy hardcover. The Jeff Darrow collection. Uh, that's a collection of the miniseries. Yes. Came out uh, last year. Mm-hmm. The four issues. $20 is very steep for four issues, especially for something as light on contact on Shaolin Cowboy. But if you haven't read it, and if you like free-roaming non-plot, literally no plot, mm-hmm. action, explosion, Jeff Darrow art, that's it. Has this been collected in a... Format no, that's the last. The thing is, the previous Shaolin Cowboy, the original seven-issue series that mm-hmm. came out, is actually coming out again from Burly Man. Who? Burly Man were the original publishers of, of uh, Shaolin Cowboy and Doc Frankenstein. Okay. It was a company created by the Wachowskis oh. to publish their comics, but it fell out after two years and after all the comics were late because you had one comic by Jeff Darrow, uh-huh. which was Shaolin Cowboy, right. and one comic by Steve Scorse, which was Doc Frankenstein. And they're both very slow. Yeah. So they started off strong, then tickled to a halt, then disappeared. And suddenly, oh, there's a collection from Burlyman. So Burlyman still exists after not publishing or making a squeak for the last five years. Wow. That's weird. I... I I thought the reason uh, Dark Horse were publishing the miniseries last year was in order to collect yeah, the earlier... But no, apparently not. That is really that's, that's strange. And uh, one mention from IDW, okay. the shameless IDW, okay. Millennium number 105. <laughs> They're actually doing a comic book version of the other Chris Carter TV series, the one nobody cared about. You know, though, that you're going to be reading those word balloons and hearing Lance Henriksen's voice in your head. No, I'm not. Yes, he is. Um, wow, Millennium. The thing about Millennium is that every new season, a new showrunner came up, and they all had different ideas about what the show was about, so it changed, the conspiracy changed its form every time. That was pointless. IDW, I don't know, how do they make, I I would be really interested to like sit in on one of their discussions as to how they plan to acquire these properties, because... They're doing. They're the ones who are publishing Edward Scissorhands, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what has to go through your mind in order to say? So you know that Johnny Depp movie from the nineteen late eighties, early nineties, yeah. Edward Scissorhands that everybody was into. Let's do a comic about that. Well, they're. Well, it's better than Boom, who's doing Escape Boom, from New I York. Mean, yeah, same principle with Boom. They're, they're doing. Uh, well, no, with Boom, they seem to be like they are going after the collected works. Of, uh, John Kurt, Carpenter? Kurt, no, Kurt Russell. You know, because they're, so, they're doing Big Trouble in Little China, too. That's also John Carpenter. Yeah, so... It's so, like, are John we going to get a Captain Ron? Why not? Why not? So, and they're both... And both of those companies have, you know, their actual big licenses. You know, yeah. Boom has Adventure Time and... Adventure Time? Well... And Bravest No, they Warriors. have also, like, a few successful... Yeah, yeah. Um, indi- like, independent uh, projects. Yeah, but when it them. comes to... Licenses, because even IDW have some, some of their own stuff. They have Do the they? Parker books... The, one? the Darwin Cook Parker adaptations. Even then, well, that's just an Okay, adaptation. Lock and Key. They have Lock and Key, lock which and key. a okay. lot of people liked. And like I said, uh, IDW usually treat their adaptations very well because I love their Transformers. I really like their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Did you read Edward Scissorhands, though? No. I like you know, their G.I. Joe gets good reviews. So. Yeah. I just... I don't with, care for it. With Boom, the logic is like, you know, let's get all the John Carpenter stuff. Okay, fine. I can understand that. That's like Pokemon, right? Gotta catch them all. Here, it's like, let's do Angry Birds and Edward Scissorhands and Ghostbusters. And, and well, 
Remember, we promised to the re- we, we promised to the listeners that we will review Angry Birds Transformers yes. number one we, we when are, it comes out. We are going to end up doing that. We are obliged. It's just I don't know. Okay, okay. Uh, I think we've gone yeah. through everything. That's the solicitations for January. You want to get the actual spectacular stuff? Sure. The reviews. So when we uh, when we realized that we were going to be doing a Halloween podcast, we decided, well, let's review like books that were horror things, scary horror things. Not sure how that worked out in practice, but let's let's start with uh, DC. Okay. So our DC pick for this week is Arkham Manor number one. Yep. Written by Jerry Dugan, art by Sean Crystal. And the main plot of it is apparently, according to this issue, follows from the Batman Eternal. Weekly series. Which I'm not reading. Yeah, but I'm not reading it. Also, they, they're saying, you know, the first thing you see is, this thing comes out after Batman Eternal number 30 or something. Where does that say that? Is uh, that like a narrative caption? Yeah. I didn't see that anywhere. Uh, one of the first pages, I think. So. No, because I know that the first page starts with, like, the explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Arkham... Basically, the, the story begins with Arkham Asylum blowing up. Again. I think has it, that happened? That has probably happened yeah. before. Without see, see? Meeting... right beneath the title page, oh, the events of this story take place in Eternal number 30. thirty. Well, what do you know? So we've been spoiled, and we don't care. I will not be reading Batman Eternal thirty, so I don't care. But Ar- so Arkham Asylum blows up again. I'm assuming it's happened before, but yeah. okay. Um, Arkham Asylum is one of those things that works in the short term, but doesn't it, work when you think about it. No, it works. W- when you think about it, like, in a limited sense, but if you look at the entire history of Batman, Arkham Asylum becomes a joke, right? They become a psychiatric hospital with a success rate of 0%. Because as far as I know, no one has ever gone into Arkham and come out of it rehabilitated. Everybody comes out worse. It's, yeah. The it, wardens become supervillains, usually. You, you either become, like, a supervillain, <laughs> or if you're already a supervillain going in, it's like a revolving door. You go in, and then you immediately... Stay. Anyway, the plot. Uh, the plot. The plot surprised me here, and I'll... Uh, Okay, what happens is that Bruce Wayne has lost his family's fortune, yeah. and now he longer, no longer has any influence in the city hall, so the new mayor, I assume he's new, mm-hmm. uh, decided to use imminent domain and seize Wayne Manor and transforms it into the new Arkham Asylum. Yes. And that's your hook. Yeah. Uh, that's also not very much an idea for a series, because it's basically... Well, what what is this? Is it is it a Batman comic? Is it an ensemble <laughs> comics in the Batman universe? What's exactly. who's the hero? Who's the protagonist? There's a villain character appearing in the end of the story in the like big reveal. I'm your psycho for this arc or something. No. That that person yeah. who shows up at the end. Yeah. Have you seen his silhouette? Yeah. Okay, so you know who he is. Yeah. No spoilers, but yeah. uh, let's just say um yeah. Here's the thing. This book actually came as sort of a surprise to me. <laughs> Uh, you're looking at it now and no. you're like shaking your head. So, uh, yeah, you figured it out. Okay, I, I, here's the thing. This book actually came as a surprise to me because you're absolutely right. The issue here is if you're doing the story about Arkham Manor, my expectation was that it would be like like Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum. I or hate the it. Other gra- no, no. The, the one that I liked, the one that I hope this would be like, would be the Dan Slot. Right? That guy with the teeth. The Dan Slot Arkham Asylum Living Hell. Right. I loved it. I think that's the best yeah. thing Slot ever done. What th- what happens in those books usually, and also, I mean, in the video game, like Arkham Asylum and, and all that, what usually happens is that there's an emphasis on the inmates. Mm-hmm. To the extent that the books have protagonists at all, they're the inmates at Arkham Asylum, which is a way to go. Like, that's one way to do it. Here, the protagonist of this book is Batman, right? He's the narrator. He's the main character. He is the, the person who is sort of involved in what happens. None of his villains appear as inmates in Arkham Manor, right? 
There's no Penguin, no Joker, no Harley, nobody. There are no recognizable villains here. There's a murder mystery that happens towards the end of the book, and that's supposedly like the storyline, the, the first arc. The reason this surprised me, though, was because having said that it's a Batman book, and Batman is so chewed up and, and exhausting, it's a surprisingly humanized version of Batman. He looks tired and beaten, weary. Not even... I mean, yes, tired, beaten, presumably because of events that are happening in other books that don't interest me at all. But it bothers him that his home, his parents' home, has been turned into a mental institute. For his enemies. That is the most human I've seen Batman in years. He's become sort of like this, you know, cold, robotic, super competent uh, uh, detective. And you never really see the emotional side of his character anymore. But now... This book, like, Jerry Dugan is really bringing that to the forefront. He has that, that scene with Alfred, right, where he's like, Alfred tells him, you know, your father would have been proud of you for opening your doors in this time of need, but also, you know, he can't stand the idea of... of these people would have a run of his house. Not just not just these people, but, like, they're, they're killing people in his house, right? There's, there's bloodstains all over the see, floor. And I can see it as a Batman miniseries or a yeah. storyline. I, I just... Don't see where it's going, and on the strength of that issue, this issue, I don't see... And, like you said, it's a more human Batman, but the Sean Crystal art is a bit too human. That, it doesn't look like a Batman. It looks like a guy in a Batman cosplay. And all out-of-shape guy. And unless okay. it's supposed to be a joke, because, you know... I, I need to say this. Okay. I, I, I really didn't want to spoil the issue, but I have to. Okay. Because what happens at the end of this book is that in order to solve the murder at Arkham Manor, spoilers, Bruce Wayne goes undercover in Arkham Manor. The art, I mean, you brought up the yeah. art, that, that's what brings me into it. So the way that he does is, is basically to attach mutton chops to his face. <laughs> People, we are past the point in time where Bruce Wayne can, like, add some facial hair and go undercover in a mental institution. I mean... It, it's such an old-school plot. It works if people haven't seen Bruce Wayne in, like, 20 years and nobody knows what he looks like. Also, it doesn't work with his previous depictions in the book because, as Batman, he looks disheveled, but once, you know, the shirt comes off, suddenly he's yeah, a biffed-up huge, huge torso. And, and like... So it's not he, the same guy. nose in yeah. the like, I, I can't yeah, even it's tell. Not, it's not the same guy. I mean, I, the only reason you would recognize him... This is part of the, the art problem. Is yeah. That, you know, on the one hand, it looks like he's a nobody... But the silhouette is Batman. Batman, yeah. For no reason at all, right? That's, that's just how it is. So, I mean, I appreciate the attempt to make Batman more sympathetic by, by giving him sort of like human concerns, right? That, that he does have... Okay, know, but do we feelings. actually need another Batman no, series? We don't. No. I don't need... I mean, I didn't expect Batman to be the protagonist here. Knowing that he's the protagonist sort of lowered my interest in the book because... And DC has a good run of... Non-Batman starring Batman series, yeah. which are actually good. Again, the Arkham Asylum, Living Hell, sure. Gotham Central. I, mean, I, I like, Gotham, like Gotham, Academy. Gotham Academy. Yeah, no, no. I mean, even even not liking Gotham Academy, I can still acknowledge that it's a book that is at the very least introducing new voices into the Bat books. Right? Yeah, Batgirl thirty-five, same principle, right? New voices, new characters, new focal points. There's nothing wrong with it's that. again Batman in Arkham. It's, 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 it's not even again Batman. It's again Batman in Arkham. It's like yeah. doing another series about Wolverine in Japan. I've still been there, Ooh. done that, been there. Really, done the that. only nice thing about the fact that he's dead is that we won't have any more Wolverine in Japan stories for a little while. For two weeks. For two weeks. Yeah. Okay, it'll be a nice two weeks. You know, vacation. That's fine. Uh, it's next book. Yeah. So uh, image. Let's, image. Let's talk image. About image. An um, actual horror book. Yeah. Well, well wants to be. I don't, 
wants to be. I don't even know if it's horror. Let's let's get into it. It's Gunner's number one, uh, written by Jacob Simon, art by George Corona. So the, from the cover, you would assume that it's a horror book. Yeah, I'm not convinced that that's what it is. Having read the issue, it's what it is. It's a 1990s Saturday morning cartoon done in the horror universe because it's a family of exorcists kind of thing. Starts off as. It's a, I, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's, fu- it's a family of ghost hunters, right? Of monster hunters. But the unique thing here, in a Saturday morning cartoon, it would have been they operate in secret. Yeah. Here, what we see, like, in the first few pages is that this, this monster hunting family are, are on the news. Like, people they're famous. Them. They're celebrities. They're famous. They're celebrities. This is a world in which people acknowledge that these monsters exist because uh, there's this police officer later who, Shows up at a house that's being attacked by the undead, and he, you know, he says flat out, "You know out, what? You know what it is? Undead here. You know what? It's Hellboy. It's the Hellboy comics. No, family Hellboy side. still had an emphasis on secrecy. No, 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 yes. no. In the actual Hellboy comics, he's he's world renowned. People know him. He comes out to the scene. Everybody's like, "Oh, hello, Hellboy. Here's the local police officer." Yes. When did that happen? Ever since the mid nineties, really? Hell, yeah. yes. Uh, we're talking about the core Hellboy series. Yes, yes. Everybody knows Hellboy. I, he's not a secret. That's the movies. He's not a secret. He's from, he's known he to be a f- secret in the first few books. Well, not in the books that I've read, and I've read most of them since the uh, middle. Well, okay, good, good for Hellboy. Um, although Hellboy, again, it's there's a combination of a few things in this issue. It's what what I like to call it's a horror universe without the horror because yeah, actual horror. We'll talk about it when we reach the final review, I think. Yeah. Actual horror depends on the protagonist being mostly helpless, barely escaping by the hint of their teeth. Yeah. The skin of their teeth. And here we start off from the beginning. Okay, the protagonists have superpowers. And no, it, they don't. Magic powers, sort Not of thing. Not even that. The, the, okay, assuming that the protagonists here are the children who, who turn up right yeah. early on, they're, they don't seem to be particularly competent or... or or, you know, protected. But again, th- this sort of also goes into the whole problem with number ones, where... Okay, let's let's go over the plot, because we're... General uh, plot okay. is... So we have this family, the Latimers, right? They're famous monster hunters, they're on TV, they're, uh, the mother and father are uh, addressing a hostage situation while two younger children, 117, 112, are at home watching. And then it goes bad. By which I mean the parents end up dead. Yes. This, to me, would be the point where the horror starts coming in. Because suddenly, they're without the parents. Now, we don't really have a lot of details as to how this family hunts monsters. We only see them really, like, at the tail end and in flashback. Mm-hmm. So it does seem that sort of the, the point, and, and of course, the minute that the parents are pronounced dead, zombies attack the house. Yeah, but they have their protection. They have protection. Because, well, because realistically speaking, you wouldn't expect like, a 17-year-old and a 12-year-old to suddenly, like, our parents are dead. Grab the knives, let's start fighting. Uh, so there is sort of this, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, th- this momentary isolation and, and fear. I don't think it's a horror comic. No. I don't think it's what it is at all. But as a start, assuming, and again, like, there are so many characters here that could potentially be the focal points, because it's not entirely clear to me if we're making the, the kids, if they're Francis, the, the they're... Francis, the butler, uncle, uh, I, could, I don't even know who it is. The bunkle. The, the bunkle. The police officer. <laughs> One of them could be the protagonist, but it's not entirely evident. 
I'm curious enough to keep reading because uh, I like the world that they're setting up, and and I mean it could go in, in any different. See, direction. for me, this kind of world, it's interest depends on if the protagonist is interesting, which for me these kids aren't really. They're generic, like you said about Gotham Academy. For me, these yeah. are generic Saturday morning kids, and the monsters. More importantly, aren't interesting. They call them weird names, but well, it's... Well, different monsters, though. But they call, they call them all the names, but it's zombies and ghosts. And the first creatures are zombies. At the end of the book, some, something else comes in. It's not a very interesting design either. I don't well, know. I don't know what they are. Again, like there are so many different directions that this can go. My, my thing... I mean, you're, you're comparing it to Gotham Academy, and that's getting me thinking. I think the, pro, the, the difference that I'm seeing here is that in Gotham Academy... They weren't aware of the fact that there were stereotypes. Like, we were expected to follow Silverlock and Maps as though they were these intriguing characters, when in fact, they were cookie cutter. Here, the fact that the kids are, on the one hand, sort of these, these average kids, right? They don't fight, they're scared, they, you know, it's implied that the, the older one, the daughter, might have screwed up epically by, by leaving something behind that she shouldn't have. That could be a starting point to making them atypical. To fleshing them out. Like, there seems to be an awareness here of, you know, your parents have just died. Okay. What happens next? Um, the art? I, I'd give it... The art's good. Competent. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't... It doesn't try out. to do anything that it can't do. No. Which is in its favor. Because, yeah. again, like, I don't know that this book needs to be... Flashy. Visceral. It doesn't have no, to have, no. like, you know, the guts and the, the it, maggots it's, everywhere. It's not It's not an Avatar book, you know. Yeah. Although you don't have to, have to go to Avatar to find that as we'll see in our next review. But uh, just to sort of wrap it up, um, I'm going to keep reading like another few issues just to maybe get a the stronger trade. sense. Um, maybe the trade. If you'll recommend it, maybe I'll get the trade. Maybe. maybe. But, but I'm not going to follow because it. Because I can see this going in, in several potential directions that would be interesting. So it really, you know, Jacob Simon, George Corona, step up your game, let's see what you got. Okay, last uh, new issue reviews. Mm-hmm. Calder, the Bad Seed, number one. That's continuation of Colder, again by Paul Tobin and Juan Ferreira. Mm-hmm. Hadn't read the original. So Me neither. I went into this blind. Uh, yeah, I just we just brought it up because it's a horror series, yeah. and we want to now do this is horror. Yeah, that's actual scary monster designs, as you can mm-hmm. see straight from the cover with a very creepy Ooh. looking ghoul thing. Yes, imagine if you were a dentist and you tell the guy open wide, and that's what you see. You run screaming from the room. His whole face is made of fingers. That's terrifying. Uh, So, there's a brief introduction to the character and the concept. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's this guy called Declan Thomas in Boston, and he has a girlfriend, and apparently uh, he was some sort of a... not quite an exorcist. He he was a guy who can actually seize people's demons manifest in their... So, if somebody was considered mad... Yeah, crazy. He could actually well, see that not, they're crazy. Considered, they actually are yeah. insane. He could see that they're madness in the form of demons possessing them. Yes, and I, I'm not sure if that means that in this universe all madness is from demons, or is it just just certain people. It's maybe 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 it was made clear in the previous series. I don't yeah. know. And you know, he has his sort of day job now as saving people, mm-hmm. and. It makes him grow colder. Again, it's one of those things that... It wasn't probably entirely ex- clear. Yeah. It, again, I assume it's explained in the previous yeah. series. 
And you get you get enough sense from what they're telling you in this issue and from the short, you know, one paragraph introduction to understand more or less what's going on. Yeah. His girlfriend has a line midway through where she's, she expresses concern for him because he's healing all of these people and he's getting colder and colder. So supposedly so, the idea is if he heals too many people, too fast, his body actually. temperature will drop. Yeah, he can't do it too die. much, yeah. Okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting, interesting twist on the exorcist thing. Yeah. Although... A finite hellblazer. Sure. Yeah. What ended up sort of taking it in a different direction is that on the surface of it, if you only had that, it wouldn't be an especially scary book. Like, you know, so he goes in and he cures these people of their insanity and, and everything works out great. The fact that he sees them as demons, you know, so what? He cures them. But then you have this uh, antagonist. Ooh. A creepy, creepy guy. Unnamed, because why would you name him? Who... Let's take it from the top, shall we? He starts by slicing fingers off uh, uh, random people, including a child. On the street, without anybody noticing. Do they not notice? Uh, most people seem to, you know... Because not... if I saw somebody cutting off fingers, they'd be like, well, check, please, gotta go. <laughs> we gotta assume that one of his powers is not being noticed, because in this world, demons appear and are invisible right. to normal. So right. maybe he's that kind of thing. Right. Um, so that's like the... So they're yeah, building him up, yeah. Yeah, and then he, he starts... Uh, he... Well, don't spoil it. I want, let's just say, like, he does a, a lot of very, it's very a good... creepy and very, very effective... Most, most of this issue is a reintroduction with the protagonist yeah. for, for, uh, for the audience for this series. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to think and he's very works. handsome for some reason. Yeah, that, like, that was, there's this weird scene <laughs> where his girlfriend meets with all her female friends, and they're all talk about, like, oh, "Oh, he's so handsome." I want to run my hands through his hair. That's just weird. Yeah, that's, and Juan Friar's art is good at the creepy. It's yeah. not good at making him, you know, a man god. They're describing him like he's Fabio in the '90s, and it's like, I don't. Maybe it's one of his powers again. We don't know. Maybe. A creepy uh, attraction, but that's not. I don't think that's something Paul Tobin would do. That was, a, but that's that because was a like, weird scene. Yeah, there's this whole ongoing conversation about how we have. Now it's like it's like it's almost like a mockery of. Uh, it's almost like a mockery of the Bechdel test for some reason <laughs> because that's all they talk you have, about. You have all the female protagonists of the book, well, characters, yeah. and they talk about a man constantly for like two pages. Not only that, of panels, but as soon as they're done with that conversation, she has sex with him, and she's like, "Oh my god, that was amazing." That's just weird. I'm telling the girls and about it. Paul Tobin is not that kind of writer, so yeah, I have to assume there's something it's there. Probably tongue in cheek. Hopefully, God, I hope. That I, okay, so I am going to read the previous uh, miniseries because, like, this has got me interested enough okay. to, to keep going. But um, I, I, I'm really, really hoping that there, it's not the revelation that she enjoys it because he's cold. <laughs> that would be just like Twilighty. I mean, you want to talk creepy, right? Yeah, but uh, the other half of the issue is a build-up for the antagonist. The very, very effective. That's properly good creepy. And yeah. doing creepy in comics is hard. I've said it before. Mm-hmm. Horror comics tend to be not really scary because you can escape it. It's not like a movie where you can you get you get swallowed by you know the theater and the darkness around you. I think the difference is that you're talking about jump scares. You're yeah. talking about like you know something. Showing up on no, the not just jump scare, but ooh. dread. It's hard to do primal dread. dread when you can only control one sense. It depends on the imagery. Yeah. Because here, for example, some of the things that this antagonist does are disturbing. 
Like you look at it and you really do get creeped And it all depends on execution because it could have sure. been, again, an Avatar book of, you know, he's just chopping things willy-nilly and blood around, but no. It's very, you know, he's cutting people up, but it's low rent. It's not low rent. It's like you don't get full-on gore most of the the time. And it's good because it builds up the creepy much better. Yeah. So that's the actual scary horror book. And uh, yeah, I have to say. I really like Paul Tobin usually and not disappointed. Going to try out the previous series. Going to try out this one Mm -hmm. when it's completed. Good good show. Good show. Well done. We Uh, are sufficiently spooked. Uh, so, shall we talk about the fan review? As, yes. As always, we finish up with a graphic novel slash trade paperback, mm-hmm. and you chose ours this one. I chose this, this one. Time. It is uh, Witch Doctor, Volume 2, Malpractice. This is uh, written by Brandon Seyfert, art by Lucas Kettner. Another and... one where I haven't read the previous series. Oh, okay, so I had. Uh, so this will but... be an interesting comparison. Yeah. Um, okay, so I love this series. I, I really do enjoy it. Um, it doesn't come out nearly often enough for my tastes, but this particular tra- paperback, Malpractice, collects the second Witch Doctor miniseries. Now, the overall plot is that you have the character of Dr. Morrow, right? He's the, uh, quote-unquote protagonist. Now, on the surface of it... Okay, let me get sort of the, the elephant in the room out of the way. The, the reason that I enjoy this series so much is because... On the surface, it's one of those X meets Y concepts, right? This is Sherlock Holmes meets House, right? Sherlock Holmes in the sense that he... Hellblazer meets House, surely. Not Hellblazer. Because he is this sort of, you know, uh, uh, medical detective, so to speak. He's uncovering these mysteries by diagnosing uh, uh, illnesses, etc., which is definitely a lot of House, um, meets Doctor Strange. Yes. But... The reason this is so brilliant is because he manages to, uh, I'm talking about Brandon Seyfert, manages to recontextualize all of the horror tropes as medical phenomena, which makes them even scarier. Like when you talk about demonic possession as a bacterial infection of like cells from hell or something, that makes it, that like takes the, the modern day fears of, you know, especially today with Ebola anxiety running rampant. That whole idea of demonic and supernatural activity recontextualized as medical fear takes it to a completely different level. And I talked before about how disappointed I was with the monster designs in Goners. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And in this book, they actually go, you know, Lucas Kettner goes hog wild in design. Oh, yeah. And, again, none of it is really scary, quote-unquote, because you have protagonists that are way too able for me to be terrified for them, but it's creepy and it's interesting to look at. It's not another zombie, another boring vampire. It's demons reimagined as bacteria, as, as, you know, single-celled organisms, and and that works. That's the proper twist. That's how you take something old and make it new again. The reason I said Hellblazer and not Sherlock Holmes is because, like John Constantine in the comics, Mm. uh, the series isn't afraid to take the Mickey out of its main character in the form of... He's not always right. In the modern reinterpretation of Sherlock Holmes, he's the... You know, we talked before about right. Benedict Cumberbatch. Ever since House, ever since Sherlock, the thing about Sherlock Holmes is that he's the perfect guy who is never wrong, and that's not true in the canonic novels. Right. You know, Sherlock Holmes 
didn't make a lot of mistakes, but he made them. Yeah. And he was he was much more well, humble the, than... The mistake that everyone remembers is always Irene Adler. <coughs> no. It's always the one that... Yeah, but there's another short story where he was completely wrong about the assumptions of the fact that I don't remember the name of that short. <laughs> and he was far more humble and was far more humane and nice in the stories. Yeah. And here we have this guy who is supposed... In the TV would be the house, the new Sherlock version. Yeah. You know, always he's right. Everybody, he's sarcastic. Yeah, everybody's on him. But no, here his co-workers, you know, treat him like the bastard that he is. <laughs> he has uh, one character called Penny Dreadful, yep. a sort of a monster child, which he barely holds on a leash and could kill him, <laughs> apparently, every minute if she wanted to. And there's something weird going on with his other assistants. Uh, what's his about. name? Uh, uh, his name escapes me at the moment. Yeah, but, he has... Um, yeah, he's the doctor, and he has an assistant who is a former uh, paramedic, mm-hmm. or a current paramedic on loan, yeah. who is, you know, our insight to this world, he's the new guy. Yeah, he's the new guy. Who, who everything has to be us. explained to, everything has to be explained to him. He's the Watson. Yeah. You know, that's that's the perfect analogy. But, I mean, I, I just love, everything about this book is just so clever. He has this rivalry with a necropathologist. <laughs> she, you know, she's sort of like the Irene Adler figure, except that she's constantly getting the better of him in like really embarrassing ways. She tricks him. She, she, and he's obviously interested in her, and it's sort of that same relationship. But of course, she's a pathologist, so she, she belongs to a different medical, uh, a, a, bran- a different branch of medicine than him, and that plays into their rivalry, right? Who's the real doctor? Eric Guest, by the way, the Eric, paramedic, just yes. so we can be proper. Yeah. And I really like all of the characters. I yeah. like her. I like the doctor. Penny's creepy. Penny's properly creepy. Yeah. Without being uh, overdone, you know. Did you did you catch the Hellraiser uh, cameo? See, I haven't actually watched any of the Hellraiser movies. Oh, but you, I mean, you know, when, when, uh, the, when, yeah, the surgeon. Oh, okay. We can fix you. Yeah. That is just... I think the thing that Seyfert has figured out here is that medicine is creepy. (laughs) Medicine is scary as hell. Have you ever seen a close-up of a a flu bug? (laughs) And, you know, here he he sort of... There's a bit of Cthulhu in here, right? There's a bit of everything. There's classic... The archaeons. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, they mention vampires and they mention Mm -hmm. zombies, but, again, we never see any of the classic stuff because the classic stuff would be boring, overdone. Right. Uh, this year, is... there is sort of a take on vampirism here, but it is—it's the street boy. It, it's yes. it's uh, um, Russian, if I remember correctly. But the way that they do it as a sexually transmitted disease that ends up doing you know certain things—he starts like sprouting uh, ginger. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean it's—it's it's so clever. Yeah, I have a problem with this series uh, that towards the end of it. It feels like a bit too much because they're building up the threat and then they keep changing up the situation in order to make him overwork himself, make the doctor overwork himself. And I end up going, well, what's the next wrong thing? Oh, it's wrong again. It's wrong again. It's like, they, I think they've introduced the main villain of the series too early. He's not the main villain of the series. You're talking no, about not the, the, the man with two, the, the carnival. People. Yeah. No, they're just villains for this arc. No, and I'm, I'm saying they introduced the villains for this arc a bit ah. too early. They showed their hands too soon. Yeah. Because by and the end of... Hell, though. Yeah, it's <laughs> impressive, but I got a bit tired of it. Okay. By the end of the last issue, I was like, again, again, another twist, another twist, another... You know, either cut it down one issue, as far as I'm concerned, or I would like to get one more issue of Done in One Case before, because it's the first issue is sort of a Done in One Case, introducing us to the female... Right. Uh, 
frenemy. His right His frenemy, yeah. yeah. That's perfect. And then the next issue, we already deep into this arc's, you know, villain, villain de jour. Yeah. And I would I like one more, was... I would, I would have wanted one more setting up the ground rules before jumping onto the arc. Again, maybe it's because I haven't read the previous series, but for me, I almost always, when you have an interesting formula, mm-hmm. I'm almost always finding myself preferring to see the formula done again in a variation over, oh, here's how we're going to stretch it over four issues. That's why when we talked earlier about Elementary versus Sherlock, I said, I prefer Elementary when right. it's doing, it's done in one episode and slowly advancing the character arcs okay. over just doing a major mystery arc. Yeah. Well, my, my preference, to, I mean, specifically with projects that are infrequent, like this is not a monthly, That's these are like two miniseries. Yeah, and they came out a year apart or something, no? So. And, and I mean, I know that Brendan Saver has said that he is working on more material, but, you know, there's no monthly pace here. Yes. When that's the case, I think I prefer arcs just in terms of... Because then you can have, like, a modular, self-contained story. Because here, for example, nothing that happens in this book explicitly requires knowledge of the previous... Yeah, you don't. He's a doctor for the damned. Yeah. Here's your tagline. Doctor for the damned. Exactly. And really, when you think... I mean... For example, one of the, the things that we both agreed with with uh, Colder is that it does sort of seem like we should have read the first uh, miniseries. Like, yes. Because there, there's a lot there that isn't quite... They talk about the, the villain of the last piece, Nimble Jack. Yeah. And, and so it does seem like we, we should have had that knowledge going in. Here, I don't think there's the same necessity. So when you have those sort of like infrequent projects, I would prefer that it's sort of a story arc in and of itself with beginning, middle, end. And really, the carnival freaks that are sort of the the... the overarching villains for the piece. Um, they're amusing in and of themselves. Uh, you know, they're credible threats. They're not thematically appropriate threats because they are... They have nothing to do with medicine. Yes. Not, Katrina, the, the pathologist, would have been sort of a better... Yeah, but they don't want to make her into a bit villain. Yeah, She's I, obviously prompt for further appearances. Yeah, I think like she... Well, even or her own miniseries. Why not? Well, that would be fantastic. You know, yeah. Because she, she, she really is in a very, very amusing... Uh, 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 character to play with. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it flowed very yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it I, does have that thing where you think that the threat has been dealt with and there's one last jump scare, right? There's one last threat that hasn't been tied off. I I didn't really get how he solved the issue at the end because they're, you know, they're doing the, I've fulfilled my evil scheme and then the doctor is, oh, how I haven't thought of that before <laughs> and he does something which is funny but Maybe it's been established previously in the laws of magic why he suddenly can undo all of the evil with that one simple rather mundane act. Well, I think it goes to the whole notion of, of uh, like in the way that vampires and, and so on are used. Or maybe it's maybe it was supposed to be that you know oh he was pictured uh, doing this thing in the reservoir it's, and it's then also, spe- and then the reservoir was blocked or something. That's a house solution though. Yeah, that's something that like it requires the character to be such a bastard that you would do something that is so... Ugh. But no, here the point is that because he does this thing, it is a mundane thing, but it ends up blocking the, the reservoir, yeah. which completely ruins the plan. Yeah. That's the, the, yeah, the trick. That's, that's, that's the nice thing, that yeah. everybody's logical here yes. in, their, in their reactions. Even towards the end, the bad guy has, I will return thing, and then when he thinks about it, he's like... Wait, wait! I almost got killed in that. I'm not. I'm not yeah, gonna why return. Would I do that again? Why would I return? Yeah. You know, it's or, a very. And, 
And when the good guys are saying, well, you can either give him, you know, the spell book or whatever, or suffer for it, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, gi- I'll give it to him. You know? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be all super noble about it, yeah. not too much. And uh, everybody acknowledge, yeah, we're going to backstab you, we're going to backstab you. It's also, it's also Kirkman-ish. Because Kirkman, oh, well. because Kirkman has his thing, I, I, I haven't read most of The Walking Dead, but in Invincible, Invisible? Invincible. It should be invisible. Invincible has this strange thing about superhero universe where it has all the plots of of Marvel and all the violence of image, mm-hmm. but stripped of their hyper drama because when Invincible does something horrible in his own series, his you know government handler comes to him and says, "Well, you've done something horrible. you're going to work it off as our agent. Not I'm going to throw you to jail forever because why waste a good resource?" Mm-hmm. You know, you can beat yourself up later, we've got job to do. And that's logical. It's not gonna, yeah. what's going to happen in most comics because drama comes from extreme reactions. But here it's like, no, drama comes from the things that are actually happening, not from people acting like idiots to advance the character arcs. And we are so trained as comic readers to expect the exaggerated that when we get this sort of like much simpler, much more logical, much more reasonable solution... We're, our own expectations are subverted, which I think is a great thing because I'm constantly being surprised by what happens in, in, in which yeah. chapter. So I liked it a I lot more really than I expected. It. Yeah. You know, I, I, I haven't expected the thing, actually. I but... mean, superficially, it's a Doctor Strange... Uh, yeah. It's a take on Doctor Strange, but it's a take on Doctor Strange that works better than Doctor Strange himself because it, with the possible exception of the Oath, the uh, Brian yeah. K. Vaughn miniseries, I can't remember Doctor Strange ever actually combining medicine and mysticism. It's always like, you know, he's either the Sorcerer Supreme or he's working with Night Nurse to, to like, fix a broken arm or, or whatever. There hasn't been that kind of combination and Witch Doctor really pulls it off. So, two thumbs up for me? Three thumbs up for me for my third arm. But also, uh, uh, if you are a germaphobe, you may want to avoid this book. You may want to wash it. Yeah. Well, don't wash it. No, because... because if you wash your iPad, it like, will get broken scared, and we're not held responsible. If you're scared enough of germs as it is... Then you find out, like, the germs may also be demons. I don't know if that'll make you feel any better. <laughs> no, thank you. So, uh, that was, was great. That was Witch Doctor Volume 2, yeah. and that's the end of the episode. We need a call sign. We need an We actually need a call sign. Well, my ending signature would be uh, have you all some pumpkin pie, enjoy Halloween, and uh, for the smorgasbord, we say bon appetit. Now I'm hungry. Now I want lunch.